Well, last Sunday we began a Growing Together sermon series. It's based off of the book called Growing Young, which is a compilation of some research that the Fuller Youth Institute in California has done with many, many thousands of churches over the last uh, several years. And one of the things they've been looking at is how is it that we can work as local congregations to retain young people and nurture young people and love them and encourage them to take their place of service in the life of the church, mainly looking at the ages of 15 to 29. So last Sunday, we looked at this idea of how do we grow together by passing on the keys of leadership. Those of us who have been entrusted to responsibility, how do we pass on those keys in an effective way? And today, we're going to look at this idea of what is it that makes for a warm church. How do we create warmth? How do we deepen warmth and community in the life of our church? Now, last week I reflected with you a little bit on my home church and some of the ways they passed on the keys of leadership to me. So I told you about being asked to run the film strip projector. I was one of the first technical assistants many years ago in the life of the church when I was 11 or 12 years old during vacation Bible school. And then I was asked, along with a friend, to mow the churchyard. And we had the keys to the shed where the push mower was kept. And then I was asked to be in a youth and adult drama play around Christmas and, the, and then to speak one Sunday in, on Baptist Men's Day as a 15 or 16-year-old. And then a senior in high school the summer after I graduated serving my home church as a summer youth minister. The keys of leadership got passed on to me. But I want you to know that amidst passing on the keys, we had a warm community as a small Baptist church out in the country of Raleigh, now located two miles from Crabtree Valley Mall, if you know anything about the Raleigh area. But at the time, Crabtree Valley Mall wasn't there. And I remember so clearly when I was almost nine years old, on Thanksgiving Day morning, my father had his first of what would be three heart attacks in his life. About five o'clock in the morning, the chest pains woke him up. And so we were sent off to an aunt's house out in Cary, my brother and I, for the day. But back in that time, when you had a heart attack, you know, you were not in the hospital three or four days and they decided to do bypass surgery or they put in a stent or put you on some meds. Back then, they kept you quiet and sedated a little bit. And I remember um, my dad went in the hospital Thanksgiving Day and he didn't come out um, until just a few days before Christmas. And he was not in a critical care unit or anything. He, he was in a regular room and eventually my brother and I could go see him. But on the weekends, my mom still wanted to be there with him during the day. And so um, there were people in my church who kept us on the weekend. Clarence and Ann Reeder, who, whose only son was now grown and had a family of his own. They didn't have any children, but they kept my brother and me sometimes on Saturday and Sunday. In fact, Mr. Reeder was a big Dallas Cowboy fan. And I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan today because of Mr. Reader, you know, because that's who he watched. And so that's who I was going to watch. 
And Hunter and Clara Averett kept us, and their son David and I were the ones who mowed the churchyard. And every year at Christmas, my dad would take us over to the family farm in Creedmoor, where he grew up, and we'd cut a Christmas tree. Well, he couldn't do it that year, so Mr. Averett took my brother and I and um, his son David out, and we cut Christmas trees that year for our family. And then Mildred McCall, bless her heart, Mildred McCall, she was the soup lady in the church. If you were sick, you got a pot of soup from Mildred McCall. And so our family got pots of soup while my dad was sick and in the hospital. And so those are just some of the memories in addition to, you know, the, the church-wide meals where we'd eat together and we'd be together for worship and study and vacation Bible school and revivals. I don't remember a lot about the content of the Sunday school class or the sermons. Now, now you should remember the content of the sermons. I just want to be real clear with you. That, that's really important. But, but I didn't remember all the content of the sermons. But, but what I remember is the relationships. The, the, the people who nurtured me and loved me and invested in me and welcomed me and, and welcomed others. I mean, we, we had our problems. We fought and feud just like any other Baptist church did. But it was a warm community and we took care of each other and we worshiped together and we prayed together and we ate together. So I'm just kind of wondering this morning, if, um, if you had to rate Oakmont on the warmth factor, with one being icy cold, and five being lukewarm, and ten being fireside warm and hot, how would you rate your church on a one to ten scale? One is icy cold, and five is lukewarm, and ten is just that fireside warm and hot. How would you rate Oakmont in terms of the warmth factor. And of course, understand that if you give us a, warm, a, a lower or a high rating, you may kind of be rating yourself personally because we all together are a part of creating a warmth factor. So here's what the Fuller Institute, Youth Institute, found. That they found in their research from churches around the country, that warm is the new cool for young people 15 to 29. Warm is the new cool. Young people in that age range are hungry for relationships, not just with each other, certainly with each other, but they're hungry for relationships with people who are older than they are. And not just five or ten years older than they are. They, they crave relationships with really old people in their 40s. <laughs> hey, Amy, good morning. I didn't see you sitting over there. Good to see you. Um, and, and people in their, old people in their 50s, you know, and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and beyond. They, they want relationships with those of us who are older than they are. That they want to be at a place. You remember the old Cheers television show? Remember the song? You know, everybody wants to go to a place where everybody knows your what? Name. Yeah. They want to be at a place where they're known. 
or somebody calls their name, and where there's that feeling of being family, where there's a feeling of belonging and caring, uh, welcoming, where we do life together, where we belong to each other. Now, a lot of people think that young people are looking for flashy worship. That age range, 15 to 29. A lot of people think that they're looking for a lot of structure, a lot of programs they can plug into. There are a lot of people who think that they're looking for a church that's got all, everything nailed down in terms of the Christian faith and they've got the right beliefs and everybody believes the same thing. No, that's not where young people are. They're not looking for that. They're looking for relationships. Relationships open up the door for them for formation in Christ. Feeling a part of a family is what deepens their trust and their faith and their confidence in Christ and not the other way around. So I want us to take a few moments this morning to look at the book of Acts and especially two of the nine summary passages. If you read the book of Acts, every few chapters, Luke the writer, is going to give you a little summary passage to tell you where things are in that early church. So at the end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 4, there are the first two summary passages. But what I've done is I've cut and pasted some of the scripture together so that it flows thematically. And so I want us to look at the early church for a minute. What are some things that the early Christians did to fuel a warm community and make warm the new cool? Because that's exactly what they did. And what was interesting to me as I studied this in a little more depth this past week is that a lot of the things the early church did to make it a warm congregation and community of believers reflects some of the Oakmont core values. And just to remind you, our core values include, there are six of them. We've got worship and prayer and spiritual formation and being missional and deepening community, and being innovative, doing things in a creative and innovative fashion. And, and I didn't find necessarily that they had innovation, although maybe it was innovative to do some of the things they were doing, but the other five really jumped out. So let's take a minute, and I'm going to put some of this scripture on the, th- on the screen, and thematically we'll kind of look at what is it that fueled the early church. The first thing that it says, if you read in Acts chapter 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is how they grew together and how they fueled a warm community is that they taught the basics of following Jesus. And they didn't ignore teaching and preaching and telling the basic message, the essentials of what it means to follow Jesus. So, you know, I remember being in that Sunday school class as a kid and in worship and revivals and vacation Bible school, and those were the forums, the, the uh, locations where the content was delivered. And while I don't remember every detail, it's helped to make me who I am today. And I think it's helped to make you who you are today as a follower of Jesus. So the first thing they did was teaching and spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is one of our core values. Just pay attention to that as a congregation. All right, next, number two, community. They really worked hard in building community, and that's one of our core values. 
Building community. Look what it says. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, the word fellowship, you may have heard that word, that Greek word, koinonia. Koinonia, that's that word right there. They devoted themselves to koinonia. It can be translated fellowship. It can be translated communion. It can be translated partnership. It can be translated community. They devoted themselves to the building up of the community. How did they do it? And to the breaking of bread. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, a lot of scholars believe that the breaking of the bread could be a reference to the Lord's Supper that we're going to celebrate here in a minute. It could actually be a fellowship meal. And the reality is that in the early church, they combined both together and called them agape meals or love feast, where they ate food together, but they also shared the bread and the cup to remember what Jesus had done for them. So part of building community in the early church and fueling that warm community was by eating. Eating. Something you and I do, generally speaking, three times a day and maybe more, right? If we throw in our snacks. There's something about eating and rubbing elbows with people around the table that breaks down barriers and serves to create an inclusive and welcoming place where everybody is sitting at the table in in an equal place. I used to go to my grandmother's on Sunday down in Sampson County, my mother's home. And my grandmother had the spread of all spreads in terms of food. I mean, there was always fried chicken and sometimes roast beef and maybe uh, a ham. There were six, seven, eight vegetables. I shouldn't be telling you this before lunch today, should I? Your your bellies are going to start growling. And there was always fried cornbread and these little biscuits that would melt in your mouth. And there was jelly and butter and tomatoes and pickles. And there was usually at least two desserts, usually a pie and a cake that she had made. And so the table would be full and sometimes people would be sitting in some of the chairs when my mother had three other sisters and a brother. And if all the family was there, it was packed. And I remember one time in particular, my grandfather, I was sitting right next to him. And he looked over at me as he was, um, you know, putting the food in his mouth. And he said, son, eating tastes better with a crowd. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? Eating tastes better with a crowd. And that's how they fueled a warm community is that they ate together and and they built relationships around the table. All right, next. Prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, this may well have been, you know, the early Christians had been followers, you know, of the Jewish faith, right? So they were still going to the temple in Jerusalem, to the daily times of prayer in the temple. But undoubtedly, they were praying individually, and undoubtedly, they were praying collectively at other times, not in the temple service itself, but they were praying as those early followers of Jesus. And and let me tell you something. There's something when a church family prays for each other. And that's why you've got these little yellow sticky pads this morning. We want you to leave today praying for each other. Praying for each other. There's something when a church family joins hands and hearts. There's something about getting on your knees and knowing that people are praying for you. And if you've ever been through a tough time in your life, and you specifically have asked for prayer, or people have come to you and have said, I've been praying for you, you know there's a power in that. 
So my philosophy is we ought to pray for one another. And number two, we ought to tell people we are praying for them. That's why when I go to the hospital room, I say to one of our Oakmont people, hey, your staff prayed for you this morning. I call somebody on the phone, how are you doing? Hey, I want to let you know we prayed for you. There's a power. When we tell each other, we're praying for each other. And that's what the early church did. And that fueled a warm community. And it's one of our core values as an Oakmont family of faith, prayer. All right, next is generous giving and missional engagement. Being missional is one of our core values. Look what the scripture says. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Isn't that interesting? Selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Isn't that that a great passage of Scripture? The early church was a generous giving congregation. And they engaged their community in meeting needs. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you've had a physical need, if you've had an emotional need, a spiritual need. Whatever need you may have had in your life, you know what it's like to be lifted up. And someone is caring for you and trying to help meet that need in the moment. It makes you feel loved. It makes you feel welcomed. It makes you feel included and loved. It fuels a warm community. And by the way, missional engagement. The word missional means being the presence of Jesus wherever you go. So see, we don't have to invite people to come to church, although that's important. We are the church wherever we go. See, when you're at work, in your neighborhood, here in this, this building, wherever you are, at the football game. Uh, we're Jesus' people. We're the church wherever we go. It's one of our core values, and it fueled a warm community in the early church. Last one we'll put up is worship and faith sharing. Worship is one of our core values here at Oakmont. Everyone was filled with awe, the Scripture says, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Every day they continued to meeting together in the temple courts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Keep going. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. One of our core values is worship. And when we do as the early church did, which is one of our spiritual practices, is we're going to worship together. Now look, you can get a good worship service or a good sermon online. You can sit at home and watch cable channel 7, or you can live stream our service. But I still contend there's something about sitting next to somebody where you can knock them with the elbow, where you can feel the warmth of a human body where you can hear a voice, where you can receive a hug, where you can be told, 
you're special, you're loved, I'm praying for you, I care about you. Those things fuel a warm community. And when God's people worships together and makes that a spiritual practice, it sends us out, as it did that early church, in sharing Jesus with other people. These times together are what empowers us to be able to share Jesus. And, this, and, and that's why, that, hey, that's the only reason we exist. We exist for one reason. We think we exist for tons of reasons, but ultimately the church exists not for the benefit of us who already know him. It exists for the benefit of those who don't know Jesus. That's our charge, our mission. So these are the five ways, and thank you for putting these on the screen. These are the five ways that the early church fueled a warm community. So I want to ask you this question. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a warm community like the one in the book of Acts? It's a caring community. It's not built on programs. It's not built on structures. It's not built on flashy worship. It's not built on anything else except doing things in community, worshiping and praying and giving and being engaged with your community and eating together. All of those basic things is what fueled that warm community. Leslie and I have some new neighbors live next door to us. They actually haven't moved in yet, but they're kind of doing some things to the house to get it ready to move in. And they're putting up, tearing down the old fence, the old wood fence, and putting up a new one. So this past week, I was just out in the yard looking at the new fence being, old fence being torn down, new fence being put up. And I engaged in conversation the father-son team that was taking down the old fence, putting up the new one for our new neighbors. And it was a really fascinating conversation. The um, man is originally from Mexico. He was telling me, he said, I was not a good man until 11 years ago. I said, what changed? He said, I came to know Jesus. He said, I was not a good man until 11 years ago. He said, I I was a bad man. He said, he talked about the violence in his life. He talked about the addictions in his life of alcohol and drugs. He said, I was not a good man. But he said, then I came to know Jesus and everything changed. I mean, he he was so pumped up and excited about a decision he had made 11 years ago to come to know Jesus. He said, everything changed about my life. And we started talking about his faith and about his family. I I said, do you get to go back to Mexico? He, He said, that's the thing I miss. He says, I miss especially my 70 year old mother. He said, I have not seen her in 25 years. Haven't seen her in 25 years. He said, we talk on the phone. But he said, I haven't seen her in 25 years. He said, you know what I miss the most? I said, what's that? He says, I miss hearing her voice and having her hug me. That's what I miss. It was was the warmth of the voice he heard with his ear and the warmth of the hug from his mother that he misses the most. 
And what was interesting is before we left, as we were wrapping up the conversation, he said, come here, and he gave me a hug. I guess I was his surrogate mother that day. He gave me a hug. You know, if we want to create a warm community, I think we have a warm community. I think we could do better. If we want to continue to create a warm community at Oakmont, we, we need a place not just for 15 to 29-year-olds, but we need a place for all of us to grow together. And we can grow together by hearing the voices that call our names and being recipients of the warm hugs that remind us that we got a job to do with each other together. We, we need to help each other grow spiritually. We need to eat together on occasion. You know, we've got a baptismal service coming up on November the 24th at night. And we're going to baptize folks and we're going to eat together. You need to come. If for no other reason, you just need to come and eat. I'm serious. Because we need to be together and we need to eat every once in a while. And we need to worship together and we need to give together generously and we need to impact our community with the good news of Jesus. So really, think about it for a moment. Everything we've looked at this morning from Acts and everything that can happen today in the life of our church, who wouldn't want to be a part of a warm community like that one in Acts? And let's make it such that who wouldn't want to be a part of this warm community that we call Oakmont?